podcast that helps you return to yourself and to your desires so you can live the exact life you want. This is for you if you're ready to make major changes in your career, in your relationships, or within yourself. While I am a therapist, this is not a substitute for going to therapy. Well, hello. Happy Wednesday. Another Wednesday. Another episode. Here we go. Today's topic comes up so often in my one-on-one sessions that I finally just decided to make a podcast episode about it as a resource. And it got me thinking, what is going on? Where is this coming from? It just raised all kinds of curious flags. So today I'm talking to you, with you, for you about imposter syndrome. I even have some curiosity, maybe some qualms, if you will, with this word, but we're going to get into that later. The episode rundown today looks like the following. First things first, why should we stop telling women that they have it? What are the real statistics based on studies that they've done about how many women experience imposter syndrome? And I'm talking about imposter syndrome specifically in the workplace, but I've noticed that it crops up all over, not just at work. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about why it is not just an individual issue, but more of a collective problem. And if you are looking to support or shift, if you notice this within yourself, some things you can do about it, individual things, but also collective things. So I'm excited. I've got my favorite sparkling water beverage right next to me, and I'm excited to get into the episode. So I feel like we should start with the stats on this. And when I first saw these statistics, when I was doing research for this episode, I thought that can't be right. And then I thought about how often this comes up when I'm working. The majority of my clients are humans who've been socialized as women and how often this comes up for them. And I was like, okay, holy cow, this is probably pretty accurate. So a KPMG study found that 75% of female executives across industries have experienced imposter syndrome in their careers. 75% people, that's three out of four women you know right now feel like an imposter every day at their job. And notice that they said executives. These aren't new college grads that just got into the industry. They surveyed everybody, okay? This is really interesting. And I might have put the cart before the horse. When we're talking about imposter syndrome, what are we talking about? A hodgepodge of definitions sort of went something like this. It's a feeling of inadequacy and self-doubt, and self-doubt being the key, that makes you continuously doubt if you are qualified enough for the job. And like I said before, of course, this applies at work, but I also see this in clients in relationships, in motherhood, in all of the areas where we get to show up as a female identifying person, right? 
big exhale for this one. This is a lot. It's clearly so important. And it's so interesting, too, in the research that I found that it disproportionately affects high achieving people who often find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. So now if you are a high achieving female identifying woman in the workplace, you are fighting an uphill battle already just right out of the gate. So many times I hear them question, did I deserve this? Did I actually deserve the promotion? I can't remember this statistic off the top of my head, but there is a statistic out there that says that women who actually are qualified for a role are way less likely to apply if they don't have every single qualification on the job description. What? Why are we selling ourselves short? And before I get into the brutal questioning, I want to talk about something else that I found in the research. There is this great article out of the Harvard Business Review that says, Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. This is the title of the article. It was written in 2021, so I feel like it's still very relevant. And the main highlight of this article was why imposter syndrome exists in the workplace. What role does the workplace system play in fostering and exacerbating it in women, particularly if women and high-achieving women and women of color experience it more often. The article goes on to break down that imposter syndrome puts the blame on individuals fundamentally, right? You heard my sort of definition as based on the research and the collection of the data, that feeling of inadequacy, that self-doubt, that feeling like a fraud, we personalize that as women And this article asks great questions like, what about the impact of systemic racism, classism, xenophobia, and other biases that we encounter in the workplace? What about the studies, the statistics of imposter syndrome? We just sort of look at it collectively and say, well, you're struggling, you're a woman, that makes sense. Here is another how to be imposter syndrome seminar. And if that's what you're looking for, this podcast isn't it because I really want to explore every angle, every aspect of imposter syndrome and invite us just like this article did to think about this a little bit differently for all of us. Listen, when we put the blame on the individual person and say, you have imposter syndrome, air quotes, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, okay? You have imposter syndrome. We are completely ignoring any of the historical or cultural contexts that are essential to how it shows up in both women of color and white women and women with disabilities and so on and so forth. And this makes me think about how we have put the onus on the woman to fix herself rather than getting curious about the workplace and the environment that we're living in and 
we don't fix the workplace. We're just like, well, you have imposter syndrome, so fix it. Now, in terms of workplace solutions and the future of women at work and this collective idea, I personally, as a therapist and someone who's worked in the corporate world and works with a lot of folks still in the corporate world, I have ideas. I don't have solutions, but people much smarter than me, like Rajma Sujani, she has an incredible book, and I will link it in the show notes, called Pay Up, The Future of Women and Work. And she is a step-by-step guide. If you are more interested in what are some of the things you can do at work or in your workplace, if you happen to be in a decision-making role, or you can be an advocate in your job, maybe you're a manager, how can we address this collectively in our systems? She has some incredible ideas in the book, Pay Up the Future of Women and Work, and I will link it in the show notes. Let's talk a little more briefly about the workplace as the problem. Just stay with me for a moment. Remember that women in the corporate world aren't exactly the majority of the people who have a decision-making role at the table. So it would make sense to me that more often or more of the time, people with less decision-making opportunities, less C-suite roles would then doubt their abilities and feel more like a fraud. They're not seeing themselves in some of those things. Now, this is obviously changing and evolving. Just look at Spanx and Sarah Blakely as, you know, the creator, founder, and CEO. I don't know. Did you step back as CEO? Somebody let me know. I love, she's also a great follow on Instagram, by the way, if you don't follow her. She's inspiring, but also like very fun and relatable. Okay, side note. So, of course, women and particularly women of color are not seeing themselves in this role, which would then add to the feelings of doubt and feeling like a fraud. So one suggestion, if you are taking notes, is how can, this is the collective suggestion, how can we support women in having more seats and more comfortability sitting at the table and the proverbial table, obviously, sitting at that office desk table, the room where the decisions are made. We need to find a way to do this. The other thing that happens is there's an implicit, if not explicit, bias communication that women and sometimes and in particular women of color are often told you're not as invited here you're not welcome here you haven't historically been here and that of course adds to that feeling of imposter syndrome So the first thing I want to invite you to take a look at, dear listener, as you listen to this podcast is, oh, are some of these things perhaps the system? Is this the reason why I might be feeling this way? One suggestion is that if you are in a decision-making role in your company and you're listening to this, you can 
help create an environment that might foster different leadership styles and create diverse racial, ethnic, and gender identities in every room. That's what I'm saying. Like, let the people in, make it more common for them to be there and to be welcomed rather than being that Eurocentric, masculine, and heteronormative space that it typically is. Okay, so clearly it's not you. It's the workplace. And you are still a cog in the wheel at the workplace, right? So let's take a look next at imposter syndrome as it relates to you, my dear, dear listener. All right. Let's talk first about how imposter syndrome shows up. Like you're sitting there and you're like, Caitlin, okay, I think I have it, but I'm not totally sure. Let's chat about this. Imposter syndrome obviously includes a component of self-doubt and that self-doubt relates to areas where you would typically excel. Like maybe in comparison to colleagues, you feel like, well, I don't have as much to add as Susan does, so maybe my ideas just aren't that good and I should be quiet during this meeting. That is a beautiful example of that self-doubt coming in and just taking over. Imposter syndrome can make us feel restless. It can make us feel nervous. And it absolutely can manifest as negative self-talk. The other thing that goes along with imposter syndrome that I see a lot in my practice and my private practice is symptoms of anxiety and depression can sometimes not always accompany imposter syndrome and this is why it's really really important to take an honest look at what you're experiencing because if you aren't available to not even available If your self-doubt has taken over in a meeting and you want to say something and you're sitting there and you're like, I should say something, I should say something, but the imposter syndrome part of you is like, don't say it, they're going to think you're stupid, don't say it, don't say it, and you hold back. And that happens day after day, week after week. It can be really challenging to then not feel worried or feel more down as well. And so we can see how imposter syndrome can go from something as small as negative self-talk one time or a thought of self-doubt in a meeting to this ongoing brick wall that you can't seem to get past. And again, please refer to the first part of this podcast where it's not a you thing, but it also impacts you as an individual. You can't seem to get past it and you're in a system working in a workplace where it may be difficult or more challenging to and that doesn't mean that you can't also take steps to support yourself and to have a different choice in that meeting. When Susan is chatting away and she won't be quiet, no offense Susan, but Sometimes you got to let other people talk. The other predominant feature that I see in my work is this sense of unworthiness that really doesn't match or align with what others think about you. So many times I've had a client say, yeah, I'm not really sure I'm great at that or I don't really know. But when they ask their partner, their boss, 
their colleague, everyone says, oh my gosh, of course, you're incredible at it. You're amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. And then they have parts of them that also don't believe it or parts of them that think that they've fooled people into (laughs) believing, well, oh, that was just like one time and that's not who I really am. That's who you are. You're pretty darn amazing. The other thing I see quite a bit is there's this cycle that happens with folks that experience parts of them that tell them that they're an imposter. So they really over prepare or they procrastinate. And then there's this cycle of, oh my gosh, okay, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And then they finish it and they're like, okay, yes, I finished the project. I said the thing in the meeting. I finally spoke up. I finally asked for the raise. And then something else comes along, a new project, another meeting, another opportunity for them to advocate for themselves and their skill set. And slowly what creeps back in are those feelings of anxiety and doubt. And this is why I created this podcast episode, quite honestly, is I want to support you in getting off of that cycle over and over again. It's detrimental not only to you and being fully yourself and being able to fully show up as you are, but also it's impacting you in so many other ways too. And it's taking away from what you and I both know is what you want to be doing and how you want to be showing up. So you're sitting there and you're nodding and you're like, okay, Caitlin, yes, I have this thing that we are calling imposter syndrome. There are parts of me that struggle with that. What do I do? So this comes in two parts. The first part is, and probably the biggest part, is the collective part. Recognize that it can be very, very challenging to look at this on an individual level without considering the cultural lens the racial lens, all of the different lenses, the gender lens, and knowing that there might be some of that at your workplace. And particularly if your workplace is a very pull yourself up by your bootstraps, very individualistic focused place, you want to make sure that it's not the environment and it could be the listen it is the environment in some ways right the collective environment that we live in as a society right now as it stands women still make less money than men across the board and so on and so forth you know all of those stats i don't need to remind you of them so there you're already fighting that in a really big scale so don't personalize it quite as much And then as we zoom in, let's double check and click, is this workplace culture really supportive of me? Or is this kind of a dog-eat-dog world? The person with the loudest voice in the room is the one that always gets their ideas heard and we just go with Susan's ideas because she just bulldozes everyone. There is this incredible book, if you are more introverted, it's called Quiet. I think it's by Susan McCain. I will link it in the show notes. But as someone who identifies as slightly more introverted than extroverted, 
I first read it when I was working in the corporate world because there would be times when I would be sitting in a meeting and I would feel like I didn't really want to speak up in that particular meeting because of who was in the room. And every time I would get the courage to decide to open my mouth, I felt like I was steamrolled just by this person who was so much more extroverted. It's not even that they had great ideas, to be totally honest with you, but they were just louder and bolder and they really thrived in like these big group settings and it felt very much like, look at me, this is my idea. And I thrive in one-on-one settings where my leaders could really see, oh, wow, Caitlin has this idea and I do think it is really good. And they would say, why didn't you say anything in that meeting? And I just said, well, it's difficult to get your voice heard or to even feel comfortable. And the book Quiet talks about how extroversion is rewarded so much in our society. But there are so many incredible skills, particularly that pertain to the working world, the business world, for folks who are introverted, like listening skills. Because really, a good leader listens more than they talk. But that's neither here nor there. This, this podcast is not about leadership today. So just reminding yourself that there are so many different layers and contexts to what's going on. And you need to look at the systemic pieces. I've offered a couple of ideas about what you can do to support those there. But the second thing outside of systemically is number one do not take this so personally 75 percent, and it's probably higher because we know sometimes people are like should I say yes should I say no so three out of four women according to the study experience imposter syndrome it's pretty much every woman that you work with right minus one or two here or there So know that there's nothing wrong with you. I hear this so often in my practice. Well, what's wrong with me? There isn't anything wrong with you. And we can work with the parts of you that are getting in the way of this to support this and shift this for you. And that's going to be the most important thing and the key here. So individually, tip number one is remind yourself there is in quotes, nothing wrong with, wrong is in quotes, wrong with you. Thing two that I work with clients on is please, 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 please stop comparing yourself to other people. I think it was a Roosevelt. I think it was Eleanor. I'm not totally sure. Feel free to fact check me on that one. Who said, comparison is the thief of joy. And if that is not so true, listen, you are comparing yourself to Susan sitting in the meeting who has a completely different set of skill sets than you, who is designed completely differently than you, and you are not comparing apples to apples here. You're comparing Susan to you, and you are so unique in your gifts, And so it's really unfair, honestly. And then the next question is, if you're unavailable to stop comparing yourself, 
Then the next question is, is comparing myself helping or feeding my belief and courage and confidence in myself or is it feeding the parts of me that tell me I can't do it and that doubt me? Because if you're anything like me, it is feeding those parts that tell you you can't do it. It just is. And we are social creatures. We want to look around and we need some kind of benchmark, right? Or we would be like, huh, what's going on? This is not the time to compare yourself. Trust me. Okay, this idea gets credit where credit is due. And I'm pretty sure it was my partner, my husband, who told me to do this. But he said, I face, uh, I've faced imposter syndrome a few different times throughout my life. Not only in the corporate world, I was a manager really young. I started managing people at 24 years old. And let me tell you, that age thing will really mess with your head. And it made me feel like, who am I? And half the people I was managing were older and or significantly older than me. And I would say, like, who am I to manage these people? And knowing what I know now about my astrology chart and my human design and just my innate gifts, I am have skills at knowing people and knowing what they need and being able to meet those needs. And that makes you a good leader, in my opinion, <laughs> knowing your people well, treating them well, and being able to help guide their jobs for sure, but also their careers, asking them those kinds of questions. But I thought, well, I'm young and a woman, so no one's going to believe in me. And when I left the company, I got a bunch of really nice emails and cards and thank you notes from people that had worked for me or with me. And I had just started seeing my partner at the time. We had just started I don't even know if we were like really dating at this point because we lived in different countries, but we were communicating, shall we say. We were seeing each other every so often. And he said, why don't you save those somewhere just to remind yourself of what people said? And I've done that. And I go back and visit that, not only what people said about me as a leader in the corporate world, but also when clients write me a really nice, you know, thank you email at the end of our work together or share with me in session if we're closing or sometimes just share with me in session like, Caitlin, this work is really changing my life. I now make myself stop, write it down and put it into whether it's if I have like a physical collection of some of these things, but I also have a digital collection. So save those emails. Save those notes from people that tell you you're awesome. And when this little part of you jumps in and makes you doubt yourself, I want you to read them and remind you like, wait a second, this thought of mine is not based in reality, perhaps. Which brings me to number three, 
we often believe everything we think. And while our brains are supercomputers, they are so great, it's not always the most accurate picture of reality. Because we are biased towards ourselves. We are showing up to the party with all of our fears and doubts and collected experiences. And our brain's job is to preserve and help us grow and evolve. And so anytime it feels like we might be doing something that would threaten that, it's like, oh yeah, no, we're going to doubt. We're going to doubt right now because this is scary and we definitely shouldn't do that. We want to live, so don't say that thing in the meeting. But that's not reality because your brain doesn't know the difference between saying something in a meeting with Susan (laughs) or being chased by like an actual threatening life, like a threat to your life, like a tiger. It is. That part of your brain has not evolved enough to be able to discern it. So you have to do the hard work of overwriting that and being like, no, actually, I'm totally cool. And in my work with my clients, these are all things that I help them cultivate and move through. Number four, imposter syndrome means you are not a fraud, right? By the simple fact that you're like wondering if you are a fraud means you're not. People that are truly frauds don't ever stop to think that they might be a fraud. They just roll on with their scheme and continue to convince people. So when that part of you shows up and it's like, hey, you're an imposter, you can just be like, cool, thank you for the information and trying to prevent me from becoming a fraud. But I am, in fact, not one. Okay, tip number five comes from an idea from Adam Grant, which if you're in the working world, follow Adam Grant on Instagram. He has some great books out there and some good info. From his book, Originals, How Nonconformists Move Through the World, he talks about two different kinds of self-doubt. There's self-doubt, which can cause you to freeze up. And that's the self-doubt that we experience when we're experiencing imposter syndrome. And then there's idea doubt, which can motivate us to refine, test, or experiment with an idea. So idea doubt is like, oh, I'm not sure if this workshop, I'll just use like my business as an example. I want to host this workshop for my business. And I'm like, I'm not really sure if people need this or if they want this. So I'm kind of doubting this idea, but let me just put it out there and see what happens. I am separate writ from that idea as in I'm neither good nor bad it just maybe it works and maybe it doesn't I don't know so versus self-doubt is like well I'm a failure if I share this workshop because then everyone will just know that it didn't work or whatever things we're saying so this can be so helpful And something I help my clients do is like untangling those two things. Because listen, especially at the beginning when you think of something or you want to share something, 
it's not always great. I don't always do these podcasts in one sit down. In fact, there are several drafts, if you will, of podcast episodes in the graveyard of my computer because I sat down to do it and I talked it through and I didn't love it and then I re-recorded and that happens. So it is what it is. The last piece that I will suggest if you are struggling with imposter syndrome is find some connections. Talk to a colleague or a friend Figure out if other people are struggling with this. I mean, 75% of women, according to the study. So you definitely know someone at your workplace and she wants to talk to you and you want to talk to her. So take some courage, have that conversation and start to realize that you're not alone in this. It can also be really helpful to work through some of these suggestions in a deeper way with someone like me who's worked in the business world but also has the tools and the skill set to guide you through this deeper process if you want to. I so much desire for you to have a life where you have this calm confidence, you know what you want, and you feel very seen at work in your relationships or in your life. And so I'm hopeful that this episode helps you to take the tiniest, babyest step in that direction. Truly, thank you so much for listening, for being here, for being part of this community. And let me know what you thought of the episode. Send me a DM, send me an email, send me a snail mail to my P.O. box. I would love to hear from you. I hope you're having an amazing week talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Return. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends. And if you leave a review, five stars, I would be forever grateful.